Well, good morning. It is so good to see uh, all of you here and glad uh, I could hear you cheering when uh, Miles was talking about uh, uh, this past Friday night. That was uh, so much fun to get to see uh, all of you all and so much fun to get to see uh, people that were brand new that I hadn't uh, ever uh, met before. And if you're here maybe for the very first time, welcome. It really is uh, great to have you here. So uh, I'm going to be finishing up our series uh, called Legacy. And it all comes out of this passage in uh, Acts chapter 2, where we're looking at where the church started. And there was a kind of legacy, some foundational things that they left to us that are really important that we get to live out of. Uh, Ryan started off this series and talked about how there were some things that they had to unlearn so that they could actually learn and hold some other things that mattered and mattered so very, very much. Um, And then Stacy talked about how they uh, uh, really started a legacy of a new kind of community. And so this morning, I want to talk about um, uh, something that they also did that is found in this passage and sometimes gets uh, misunderstood or it can get kind of strange um, because it has to do with giving. But there's something really beautiful about what happens in this passage that I don't want us to miss and I don't want it to uh, be confusing uh, in here. So let me, let me just dive into the passage and then we'll unpack this uh, here this morning. So if you have your Bibles, look at Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. Uh, and it says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And now it kind of starts to lead into this uh, giving part. Uh, Verse 45, all the believers were together um, and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Um, And and it's kind of like, okay, what are they doing here? And it gets a little further complicated um, when we look at chapter 4, because it talks about how they gave a little bit more in chapter 4. And I want you to look at this. Uh, This is chapter 4, verse 32. It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, right? That's the part that starts to feel the word. Uh, but they shared everything they had. So now, first, I want to just acknowledge even talking about like finances or giving uh, in church can, like there can be some weirdness uh, to that. And, and everyone kind of comes from a different background on this. And there can be moments where maybe it feels a little tense or you feel a little hesitant uh, about this. And especially when you look at this passage because uh, it's like, okay, so what were they doing exactly? Like, did did they just all get together and like, okay, let's put everybody's money all in one big pot? Like, is this advocating socialism or is this like, what's going on with this? And this is where I think oftentimes uh, it's easy for us to misread or apply in a strange way what's happening here. And, and I don't want that. I, I want us to kind of get the heart and soul of what's happening here and why. Because I think there's something really life-giving in all of this uh, for us. And l- let me just say this. Um, 
there's nothing about this passage that is trying to speak to economic systems uh, or to how governments should run uh, money or anything. This is not about socialism or capitalism or anything like that. It's not advocate. That's, that's not on the mind of Luke, the writer of Acts here. He's just talking about what's happening uh, in the early church here. And, and so let me say this. What we see in terms of this legacy piece is the early church does something really very different. I'll even say kind of radically different when it comes to giving uh, in their spiritual journeys from those before them that were following God, kind of the tradition out of Judaism that they would have followed. And what they do is they change from a kind of institutional giving to a kind of missional giving. And that's what I want us to see here this morning. And that's what I want to talk about uh, in all of this. Um, so uh, let, me, let me unpack this a little bit. Because I know like when Angie and I were first uh, married, right? And we, we didn't have much money. And we came together and we made like our first budget together. And, you know, we had lots of great, you know, discussions over what that first budget should be. But for both of us, the very first thing was like what we were going to give to the church, what we were going to tithe to God. And part of that was because we grew up in a tradition like where you just gave like that, like, and you gave 10%. That was the standard. That was the rule. And you just, you just did that because if you didn't, well, I don't know. But like, it couldn't be good, right? God wasn't going to be happy uh, with that. That was just what you were supposed to do. And I would imagine some of you, like you grew up in something similar to that where like there was like tension over money and like this is God's and you better be careful with it. Like I even remember as a kid, uh, my dad, you know, kind of introduced me to the idea of tithing and giving and I had my allowance. And so, you know, I'd come to church and I'd have my allowance and I'd, you know, I'd take out, you know, what I was going to give to God out of my allowance, which was like a good thing. But there was a serious side to it. Like, I remember making sure that I sorted through what my tithe was going to be before I got there. Because if you did that, like when the plate's being passed, and let's say you accidentally dropped some extra money in the plate, it's gone, right? There's, there's no coming back from that. Like, you know, your wallet falls in there. <gasps> oh, well, okay. You know, like just... That's just, right? Some of you know this. This is, right? You, you grew up with this. Um, and, I, and again, I just want to acknowledge th- th- this can be a difficult subject at times as we talk through it because for some of you, like you were a part of a church or religion where like it wasn't just the church, you know, a local church. For some of you, it was a part of a larger organization or denomination and it had vast holdings and all of this wealth. And there may have been like, why, like, why do they need my money? And why, and what is all of that wealth about? And, you know, things like this, or maybe you saw uh, church leaders that abused uh, the finances of the church. And so there's this hesitancy uh, with you and you feel the tension. For instance, how many of you have ever heard someone, like raise of hands here, how many of you have ever heard someone say, you know what, the church, it's all they want is your money. Ever hear someone say that? Yeah, like look around. Yeah, because there are things that have happened that like have created that. And so what happens with this early church is there's this dynamic change that occurs in them around this idea of giving. And I would just want to say, even because we find it right here in Acts chapter 2, 
there's something about a legacy that they leave us where they go from this kind of institutional giving to a kind of missional giving. So let me, I, I wanna it, uh, walk through this. I wanna, I, I wanna diagram out the, the difference beto- between the two this way. So to kind of understand what I'm talking about when it comes to institutional giving, I wanna go all the way back to where kind of this, where you really see this start in the Bible. And this would go back to when uh, the Jews first come out of Israel, or out of Egypt, right? And now they're gonna become a nation. And so they're out in, uh, the, they're out in the wilderness, oops, and they're camping in the wilderness, right? And uh, they're in their tents. These are tents, by the way, if you can't, you're like, that looks a lot like a triangle. It's really a tent. See, there's the door right there, a little fireplace there. They're making s'mores with unleavened graham crackers, okay? So, right? So you've got this whole community of people, right? And they're out camping in the wilderness. And one of the first things that happens when they get out there is uh, God says to Moses, Moses, I want to build a tabernacle. And so Moses, the first thing he tells the people is, we're going to build a tabernacle, which is, and you're like, what's a tabernacle? It's a great big tent. And this tent, uh, the tabernacle, is like the idea is this is where God resides. But this would be the center of this community. Like when you think about it, here's, right, the early uh, Hebrew nation. And so uh, Moses says, I want you to give so we can build this tabernacle. And so all the people start giving to the tabernacle. Later, the tabernacle will actually become the temple. They'll build a permanent structure, the temple in Jerusalem. And when you think about this larger community, right, this is the nation of Israel. And uh, the idea is at the center of this, uh, of this people, of this nation, is this temple. And legal proceedings would take place uh, here. Uh, it represented like the place you would go if you were going to make offerings. They kept the Ark of the Covenant uh, in there. It's where the Ten Commandments were kept. It was centralized. And so you were to give to this. And in a way, it provided those other services. It, it provided like the legal services. If you needed to go and see a priest because you did something wrong and you needed forgiveness uh, on something, it like it was the hub that everything was built around. Um, And to sustain it, it wasn't just that one time when they first built the tabernacle. They actually created these different tithes uh, that became part of the Mosaic law. In fact, they ended up with three of them. And by Jesus's day, um, they even named one of them the temple tax, because that's kind of how it worked. It like when you think of a tax that you pay, like to a government, like, you know, to provide infrastructure and all these different things, you owe it to them and they provide those things. That's how this functioned. And by Jesus's day, the temple tax um, that they paid, and there was three of them that, that came together Two of them you paid annually, one of them that you you paid once every three years. But if you were to split up that one every three years, what you would owe out of that and add it to the other two, it came to a wonderful 23.33%. Ouch, right? Now, on top of that, they had to pay their tax to Rome as well 
right? And any other uh, governments, you know, like city uh, civil things or anything like that. And they did that because you had to. It was compulsory. And they, there was kind of an exchange. They would provide these other things, but you paid that tax. That's what it was, uh, how it worked and how it functioned. And so the two things about it was, one, it was compulsory. It's not like you got to just say, well, I don't know. Maybe I won't pay that this year. Things are a little tight. No, you have to pay it. And secondly, it was about maintaining, right, the temple or the temple system as an institution. You gave so that this would continue to exist. Um, it's a little, when you think about it, uh, it's a little bit like, uh, like when you write a check to the IRS, right? How, how many of you have written a check to the IRS and you're just like, you know, the more I think about the mission of the IRS, I just with a glad heart, I'm going to, maybe I'll pay a little extra this year. Probably not. I bet you're motivated by, well, I don't want to be locked up, right? <laughs> I don't want to pay a big fine. And I owe it. I just, it's, it's part of the system here. Um, that's kind of how that worked. And a little bit of a way, that's, you know, like, honestly, like when Angie and I made that first budget, it was kind of like, I owe this to God. And there are things that, you know, God does for me. And that's wonderful. And I love that. But it's, it's my duty to be a good Christian, right? I'm going to give to God because that's what I'm going to do. Now, um, what the early church did kind of sets up something uh, that is different. And to think about it, I want you to go back to um, when the church uh, first starts off, right? Um, you have, and, let's, and this is like after Jesus's uh, resurrection, right? You have this small group of followers, right? And uh, think about Jesus when some of his last words, we find them in Matthew. And this is known as the Great Commission. And Jesus is talking to, you know, his little group of followers here. And he says, here's the thing to you group right here. Um, I want you to go out and I want you to make disciples. I want you to go out and find other people and show them, help them understand the peace and the forgiveness and the love and the acceptance that they can have in me. Help them to start this kind of relationship. Help them become disciples of mine. The early church starts off with, right? Here are the words from Jesus. It's a mission. It's a mission that they start off with. Very, very different. And so then a few months later, um, and I think uh, Ryan covered this in, the, in the, his first message, there's Pentecost. And suddenly there are like 3,000 people who become followers of Christ. And you have this whole community. It's dripping a little bit there. This whole community. Um, that become uh, followers. And that's where we pick this up in Acts. And it says this thing where all of a sudden they start 
pooling their resources uh, together, right? It says in verse 45, they sold property and possessions. Um, and one of the interesting things is they notice that there are people in need and they want to take care of, those, of these issues of, of that there are people who have needs. And they realize there are people outside their community, right? <clears throat> and these people have needs as well. And they have a mission. And what begins to happen with this early church is because they have a mission, um, they pool their resources and they start doing things. And what they're really doing is they, it's, it's like they're not moving this direction. It's like they're looking at the world out here and it's what can we do to work and help the world out here through this mission? And literally what you see is, it's like this circle that represents their community, it's like it starts to expand. It's like, how can we, how can we grow this circle um, by pooling our resources and living out this mission? And this is important to get. What you see with the early church, what is happening in Acts here, it's not about an institution that they're serving or maintaining. It's not making sure that there's an institution that will continue to exist. It is about a community with a mission that needs to expand. That's what's happening in this. And it somehow has this powerful effect on what motivates them, right? It's, it's not about you owe, right? You're obligated to do something for this community. In fact, you see Paul talk about this. There's a moment where uh, later on, uh, the church in Corinth has been asked by Paul to pull together this gift to help a church in, uh, up in the north part of Greece. And he uses words like this, I urge you, right? He's not saying, it's like, he's, he's got... He wants them to give, but how he goes about it is fascinating. In fact, if you look over in uh, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, um, you see this. He says this in verse 7. He says, each of you should give, right? But he says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Whoa, that's way different. Imagine if the IRS said that to you, right? They just said, here's the form. Take a little time, and in your own heart... What do you think the American government needs from you? Just fill in the amount and mail it in, right? No, like, because the institutions don't operate that way. There's no, what's your heart say to you, right? But this isn't about an institution, right? He goes on, he says, uh, he says, each of you should uh, give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Like there's this element of what they started that missional giving is about a mission, but it's also about um, generosity. The motivator in it comes from a place of generosity. That's missional giving. So as you think about this, I, I want to walk back through this, but maybe in a way that's a little bit more personal. Because this is something, I don't want us to just see this as like a construct. Oh, that's kind of cool what the early church did. They leave this as a legacy to us 
for us to think about when it comes to how we give and how we think about giving. So I want to just walk through this kind of in a progressive uh, way, what it means uh, to be a missional kind of of giver in this. And and here's where I want to start. I give something of myself, right? This is where it starts. You look back at this early church and they, it's like, okay, I've got property. And if I need to sell some property so that I can contribute to the mission, I'm going to do that. Some of them had crops uh, that they brought. Other, you know, had gold or silver or whatever it is. They're like, there's something that they're giving of themselves. And the point of this is it, there's a cost. There's like a personal cost to it that they're aware of uh, in all of this. And, you know, that's not a bad thing. Because oftentimes there's this side of it when, when there's something that costs us, but it comes from our heart. Have you ever noticed how you value it differently? Like you, like you feel like the price, you feel the investment of it. Like there's, you hold it in like a different kind of way. I remember um, trying to have this conversation with my son Chandler about giving uh, to the church because he was just getting old enough and he had an allowance and he was like doing things to earn that allowance. And so now like, uh, you know, my dad had a conversation with me. And so now I'm going to have a a conversation with my young son and explain this to him. So I'm walking him through this, you know, okay, you got your allowance. And now, now I want you to think about the part of what you're going to give to God. And the truth is I was kind of coming at it from like a more institutional kind of way uh, with Chandler. And so I'm explaining, you know, um, you like give this uh, to God. And he's like, well, why? And I'm like, well, because like God asks for it. Well, why does God ask for it? Well, because he needs it. And then I, in which I just, you know, he was, he, I pulled myself down this conversation. I'm like, because he needs it. And Chandler had recently been in a Sunday school class where they had talked about how God owned the cattle on like a thousand hills. And he looks at me with a straight face and he goes, well, if God needs it, why doesn't he just sell one of his cows? That's just like, oh, just, just, <laughs> it's all going the wrong direction in this. And I realized, okay, I'm like, I'm not cultivating the thing in my son that is like the thing that I'm trying to cultivate in all of this. And part of it actually helped me. There was a part of it where I realized, okay, I, I'm thinking in this way that really is kind of more of an obligatory thing. It is out of compulsion or like I'm supposed to. And, and so like, how do I come at this a little differently? Uh, not long after that, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to come back at this thing with my son Chandler again. And I was trying to grow in this a little bit. And we had, we had just started one of our original, it may have been our very first shoe drive that we did at this church where we realized there were kids uh, all over the school, starting in Marana, but also Amphi and throughout our city that just didn't have adequate tennis shoes. But we also realized it was impacting them deeply. Like the, there were lots and lots of kids that uh, weren't being able to play sports or participate in gym class the way they wanted. And it was kind of a, and, and it's not something they wanted to advertise because it, it was, it felt a little demeaning. And we were like, let's, let's, as a church, let's love on them because they have a need and let's do this. And so I remember talking with Chandler and I explained the issue to him. I said, you know, there are kids that have this need. He's like, okay. And I said, you know, you probably can't afford to go buy a whole pair of tennis shoes right now. He's like, no. I said, but what if you pooled your resources with mom and I? 
Like, mom and I could kick in something. And we'll probably kick in more than you do, but you could join us in this and help buy a pair of, of shoes. And that, it's like, oh, like, yeah, we're going to help our church make a difference, right? And I even explained that, like, Casas wants to work with these schools in a very dignified and discreet way where we can give these shoes to these schools and they'll find a way through like the school nurses or whatever to get these shoes in the hands of the kids that need them most. And so uh, Angie went to uh, get the shoes and she took Chandler and Colette with her in it. And they got to be a part of actually picking out the shoes that they were helping to purchase. Um, and so we brought them to the church on the, in one of the Sundays where you brought all the shoes. And then that Monday, Chandler's like, okay, so did, did, did the kid get the shoes that we brought? And I was just like, well, okay, well, not yet. And he goes, well, why not? I, like, like, cause he was feeling this thing. Cause there was a cost to him, but all of a sudden it wasn't like, oh, like, okay, I have to do this. There, like, because he owned it, because it, he was vested, he cared about it. And he was just like, well, dad, like you're the pastor. Can't you make this go faster? And I was like, well, no, it doesn't work that way. But it was precious to see his heart being pulled into it because he wasn't giving because his dad was saying, you have to give because you know, God wants you to give. It started to matter in another way. Missional giving starts with, I give something of myself because missional giving empowers the church. And that's what was happening. The early church was being empowered by the way the people in the church were pooling their resources and it allowed them to then push to this next level in this. And so here's the next part, right? So it starts with, I give something of myself and then to move beyond myself. Because you start to understand, I, I'm giving, but in a way that's, that's going beyond me. This is reaching other people in a precious way. Uh, when it came time to explain this to my daughter, so years later, you know, and I'm kind of going through the whole thing and I'm a little bit wiser at this thing. And I was thinking about like, how do I explain this to my daughter Colette? And I had just uh, found out about a ministry that works with churches all over the world and churches uh, that are in rural areas in other countries where there's a lot of poverty, but they were trying to help people in their communities uh, take their, like they had all of these little businesses. How do you help them take their business the next level, even to just support basic living or maybe even hire someone in the village or the little town they were in? And they were so short on capital and all they needed was small amounts of capital that would be like interest free for a short time period. And it, and I won't get into all the details of it, but it could really make a difference. And so I talked with Colette about this and I said, like, we could partner with another church someplace else. And so I actually showed her the website and where we could do this. And she worked through all this stuff. And all of a sudden she found that there was this woman in Peru um, that wanted to start a clothing shop and she was already making clothing and trying to sell it, but she wanted to expand to sell some clothing once a week uh, in a large city uh, near her little village, but she didn't need the capital. All she needed was a hundred dollars uh, and wanted to borrow it for six months. And there was a church there that was, that would like, that we would network with, that would integrate and make all of this happen. And so Coley was all excited about this. She only had $40 and I said, well, dad will kick in the other 60 and we'll do this together. And so we did. 
And um, then three months later, so we did this, three months later, we get paid back. Like she, she got this whole thing launched, got it working and paid us back three months early and left this note uh, through this other church, through this ministry uh, back to us. And, and this woman who was so grateful when she realized that there was somebody someplace else that worked with the church there that helped her and how loved she felt that there was someone who didn't even know her that was willing to help her out. And I remember for Colette, that was the first time she got this idea that, that as, a, as a Christian, like I, I give because I can actually affect something beyond me. And I remember Colette was, um, you know, because now she could get her $40 back. And she had already thought about like, you know, she was putting things off that she was going to spend that $40 on. But it affected her enough that she was like, let's do another one, dad. Let's like, like she felt something about how it went beyond her. Like, let's, let's do something more. And I watched generosity being developed in the heart of my own daughter. That's what missional giving does. And you know what else it does? Missional giving has this way. It tethers people to one another, right? Because you come together. But it also has this way of tethering them to Christ. There was something about Coley and I got tethered together through this little exercise, but it pulled us towards these other Christians at a church somewhere in Peru. And ultimately, it started tethering these other people and this woman to Christ. That's missional giving. It goes on. It's, uh, it, I give, so, so I want to take this one third step and walk this out here. I give, when it comes to missional giving, I give of myself to move beyond myself to do something bigger than myself, right? I think about that early group of Christians. And you know, when Jesus laid out, you know, this mission, I want you to go and make disciples. He could have said, I want you to go and make disciples all over Galilee, right? Because that's, I, I know that area and a bunch of you are from Galilee. Go, go, go reach all of Galilee. But it was bigger than that, wasn't it? It wasn't just Galilee. He could have said, I want you to go and reach all of like Judea and Jerusalem and this whole region, right? And that would have been a big goal, right? That, that would have been audacious at some level, but he didn't. He said, I want you to go and make disciples, what? To the ends of the earth. I'm like, there's no one on this planet that I don't want to not hear about my love and my acceptance and the kind of life they can have with me. And what happens is this, this early group of believers, right? Part of what's happening, they're giving, they're pooling their resources together. But what's pulling them forward is they get to be a part of something so much bigger than them. There's right, something they could never do by themselves, right? They, they couldn't just take, no individual or not even one family could just take their resources and make this happen. But there was something they were just like, we're going to keep pulling this together. And they started sending missionaries out, right? That's how Paul got to travel the way he traveled and started reaching more and more regions that had never been touched by the gospel yet. And there's like this thing that begins to happen. And you know, the reality is, I think about Angie and I, 
And I think about when we were first married and giving was important to us. And, you know, and we gave 10% plus that, that was like, that was our goal. And, you know, now, um, we have changed for why we give, we still give 10% plus, like that's just, that's a a part of, of what we do. But the why of it shifted to somehow over time, we left behind a kind of institutional giving. It's just like, you know, I'm not giving to the church I'm a part of so that this church can just exist, you know, uh, somewhere in the future, right? It's not about like that there's, that there's some building, there's some box in the middle, and I'm going to give so that this will exist uh, just no matter what. Something happened in us, and it's like there's a vision of a church that is like a circle, And that circle is all about the people that it is drawing into it. And it is a mission about how do we keep pushing this out in a beautiful way so that it just keeps on including more and more people, right, who are out here. And it's the idea, what would it be like if there was a church, right, that just would shine with such love and acceptance that, that, and the way it would love would keep pulling people in. And so it's things that a church can do that, that ministers to people that we don't even see right now, right? But it's also, I think about, like, we've got kids in our children's ministry right now. And there's a part of, like, how are we grounding them into, like, a, a beautiful understanding, like, rooting them in this understanding of who God is that they're going to hang on to for a life. They'll build a life around that. I think about what's happening with our students in this. I think about what's happening in this world. And when you think about that mission, I want you to think about it. It is a collective mission. It is how we come together. But it's more than that, friends. It is a mission for you. It's your chance to be a part of and belong to something bigger in this world. Jesus gave an incredibly audacious, amazing, big vision. He wants to reach the ends of the earth with this, with this kind of peace and love. I want your story of your life to be connected to this. We as a church, when we pool our resources, it is about your story and my story being connected to something bigger. And this world needs this. I want your story to be bigger than all the trouble and struggles going on in, the U- in Ukraine right now. Right? The world is wrapped up and pulled in and pulling its hair out, doesn't know what to do with it. But you, you're a part of a story bigger than all of the conflict going on in Russia and Ukraine. You have a story that is bigger than the conflict that is going on even right now in Israel, in Palestine, and all, right, and all the worry. And you watch the news and how this could grow and how it could be escalate and pull into all of these things. But here's the thing. There's a story of hope and peace and love and transformation 
that is bigger than that. It is bigger than world economies. It is a story that is bigger um, than all of the struggles and the pains uh, that go on in this world. It is bigger than the stories and the fights over politics or uh, uh, economies. All of that. I want your story to be tied to that. This ever-expanding circle where there's this kind of acceptance where people, like when they get raptured in and captured by this story, like think of a moment when there's somebody that you met and before they got pulled into one of these circles, like they had no notion of a God so filled with love, so filled with peace, so filled with joy. Every time I run into someone and I can just see, they've got a story of hesitancy towards God. They've got a story about like, oh, Okay, but like, you know, God is, they have that picture of God, like God is after me, or I better do all of these things to please God. Or they have a story of like, there is no God, right? God doesn't exist. I look at this world and it just means there can't be a God that would exist in a world this crazy or this bad. But what happens when they run into a community of people that show them that there is something so gorgeous and beautiful that it captures their heart? That's the story. You want your life telling. And I think those early believers, they got that. And so they were like, if it means selling a piece of property, I'm going to sell a piece of property because this story is worth telling. See, they weren't about maintaining an institution so that institution would continue to exist. They were excited. They were, they were generous. Because there was something that captured their heart in all of this. That's what I want for us. And so let me say this. Let me just close with this challenge. Whether you are giving now or whether you've never given or you've just given a little, I want to ask the same thing of all of us. And it's this. I want you to give because you know that what you give is in it is a critical, important part of a mission. We have a legacy. We belong to a community that started with a mission. And they've handed that mission on to us. And we get to be a part of continuing and, and resourcing and pushing those circles out. I want you to know that. So first thing. I want you to give. I, as Paul says, I urge you to give. But here's how I want you to start. Let the mission capture your heart. And I know for some of you, like that may be difficult because for some of you, you're from a background where the idea of giving for some other reason other than just like you're obligated or, you know, like, and I'm sorry. I mean that. Like if, if, if there's tension that you feel because you felt those weird pressures, I, like, I am sorry, but let the mission capture your heart. Let that be the thing that in, just fills you with like, like a sense of joy that you're a part of something bigger than anything in this world. And secondly, and this is, if you get the first one, the second one becomes easy. Give to advance that mission. Give because you're a part of a church where you're going to pool your resources and what your community, what your church is about is expanding that mission. 
Let that be the thing that pulls you forward. And I just think, I, I think back to Angie and I over the years, I have more joy in giving now than I ever did before because I just think about this church and I think about the people that have been introduced to God. I think about the people who've been transformed and that, like there's just something that's fun about that. And that's the thing that keeps pulling Angie and I forward to say, we want to keep giving. We want to give more because it's about a mission. Does that make sense? So I urge you to give, but not to an institution called Casas, to a community of believers tied to a mission about a savior who's filled with love, who wants to shine that through you and me. So before I close in prayer here, let me just say this. If you are new here to Casas, it is so good to have you here. And if we've never had a chance to meet or shake hands, I'm going to be right over here at these tables. And I would love to meet you here this morning. Welcome you personally. And if you're here and there's something going on in your life and you would love to have someone pray for you, we've got some wonderful people in our prayer place that would love to pray for you this morning. Why don't you stand? And I'm going to close this uh, in prayer here this morning. Let me pray. Let me pray. Father, we just thank you. Um, and we pray that you would cultivate our hearts, to cultivate our hearts, not towards like an institutional kind of giving, but cultivate our hearts to be generous because the mission just continues to capture us and pull us forward as we get excited about what you are seeking to do in this world through this church and so many other churches. And we pray this in your, son, in your son's name. Amen. Have a great Sunday, and we'll see you next week.